Hello and welcome to another episode of The Ty Brown Show. Today we're going to talk about how we often find ourselves surrounded by crazies, right? We live in this world with a bunch of crazies. Well, how are we to navigate this? Um, have you ever wondered how you, you know, how, how somebody could possibly not see that you are clearly right? I wonder that every day. And, 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 but for good reason, because I am pretty much always clearly right. Of course. Have you ever said, have you ever said to yourself, I really am surrounded by crazies and I'm sick of it. Well, good luck changing all the crazies around you. I, there is another key though, to unlocking peace in this frustration of being surrounded by crazies. And we're going to talk about that key today. And um, better than that, we're also going to be going through a couple of stories from a very special guest. Guest, Yes, folks, we have the honor of having Devin Cooper on the show today. Devin Cooper is uh, not only just a world famous, amazing father, husband and good man all around. He's also uh, graduating from law school here in just a few weeks. And um, he's also he's cutting his teeth as a dispute resolution expert. He's an intern here at WorkBuddy with me. And so it's going to be a real honor to listen to his stories and get some of his insights. So without further ado, let's get going. Podcasting from conciliators. This is the Ty Brown Show. If you're a human and you think you might have to interact with other humans at some point, and you like that to go well, then listen up. Oh, yeah. It's time to get cozy with conflict. Let's go. And we're back. All right, folks. Um, the purpose of this show, uh, the Ty Brown Show, was started with the intent of creating the dispute resolution revolution. Yes, I, uh, I am a dispute resolution guy. I, I enjoy helping people work through their problems, getting on the same page and moving forward. Um, I'm passionate about peace building and the processes that are used to get there. And having, uh, having mediated a lot of, uh, a lot of cases and, uh, and having helped people through various problems, uh, kind of in more formal mediation settings, I realized, you know, it'd be great if everybody could have some of these tools that uh, that dispute resolution professionals use and use these tools in everyday settings so that they can get over their their beef with their roommates and they can reunite with uh, with their parents and their grandparents and their siblings and uh, their neighbors and get through the challenging circumstances that we face I mean we're humans we lose our tempers we make each other mad we um, we push each other's buttons, but there are ways to um, there are ways to heal, and there are ways to move forward, and that's what this podcast is all about. Uh, most of all, I hope that by listening to this and and by sharing this with others you may know that we can re reduce and and um, combat the contempt that's in our society uh, to be able to disagree without hating each other. Uh, and so that is what we're after. Uh, my background, I'm a, I'm a full-time dispute resolution practitioner, uh, one of the founding partners of WorkBuddy, which is a workplace di dispute resolution company. We get hired by organizations to 
resolve their workplace issues earlier and faster and cheaper than they can do on their own. All right, guys, I have some good news. This is like personal news. Um, wanted to share the, the excitement with all of you. I'm going back to school, right? That's great. I, I'm going to be, I don't know exactly what grade I'm in now, but I, I bet it's close to the 30th. And, um, and I'm really excited. I, I felt the need to get a little more formal training in dispute resolution. There are kind of two different tracks that people take to get educated in dispute in ADR. Uh, and that is either through like counseling and psychology, social, social work as well. Um, that, that's kind of the medical track where people gain, um, experience on how to resolve disputes. And then there's the legal track, which is, it's funny that these two tracks, which are so different from each other, kind of lead to the same space of dispute resolution expertise. But yeah, in, in law school, you know, you can take elective courses that teach you about negotiation and conflict resolution and getting to yes and, and all these kinds of things. So I, I went through the legal track, um, developed a passion for, uh, for the field. And, um, and now, uh, that's, that's what I want to learn more about. So I applied for a, a program at Pepperdine's with their Strauss Institute for a master of laws in dispute resolution. So that's going to be, that's going to be happening. And you know what that means for you? It means that I'm going to have much better content than the stuff that I just make up from my head. And so I hope, I hope everyone is rejoicing and relieved to hear that. Um, so, but you should know my, my podcasting has become less frequent. And as I start school, it's going to be, I mean, my time is going to be even, even harder to come by, but just know I won't, I'm not giving up on this thing. And um, oddly enough, our, our listener base continues to grow. I was looking at our last episode and, and it's, it's, I think the most popular episode we've had to date. Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent certain of that, but it, it, it was, it was surprising and good. So I think this continues to grow. So please keep sharing and, um, we shall march on in the dispute resolution revolution. Okay. So I wanted to go through just a couple of things that help with this idea of being surrounded by crazies. Uh, when you just feel like everyone around you is so unreasonable, uh, how do you, how do you navigate those, those oceans? And, uh, I wanted to go through a little exercise with you. Uh, this is an exercise. I wish I knew who invented it and I have no idea, but I did it in law school. And it was very, it was very eye-opening for me. It's called the just like me exercise. So here's what you do. I want you to picture somebody in your family, somebody at work or, or maybe a neighbor um, who you're just not seeing eye to eye with. Somebody who's, who's, who, uh, I don't know. Well, let's just leave it at that. Someone you're not seeing eye to eye with. All right. Picture them in your head. You got it? You got it? Okay. Now I'm going to say some phrases and I want you to in your head picture this person and repeat these phrases in your mind as if, um, you know, as if you're repeating them almost like you were saying them out loud to this person. But anyway, do all this in your mind, okay? Silently repeat the phrases uh, while, while picturing them in your head. Okay, here it goes. This person has a body and a mind just like me. This person has feelings, emotions, and thoughts just like me. This person has experienced physical and emotional pain and suffering just like me. 
this person has at some time been sad, disappointed, angry, or hurt, just like me. This person has felt unworthy or inadequate, just like me. This person worries and is frightened sometimes, just like me. This person will die, just like me. This person has longed for friendship, just like me. This person is learning about life, just like me. This person wants to be caring and kind to others, just like me. This person wants to be content with what life has given them, just like me. This person, this person wishes to be free from pain and suffering, just like me. This person wishes to be, su- to be safe and healthy, just like me. This person wishes to be happy, just like me. This person wishes to be loved, just like me. Now, we are going to go into the next phase of this exercise. Keep, keep, uh, keep picturing this person in your head, and um, the phrases are going to change just a little bit. And, um, and try not to resist. Try not to resist this urge, okay? Um, I wish this person to have the strength, resources, and social support they need to navigate, to navigate the difficulties in life with ease. I wish this person to be free from pain and suffering. I wish this person to be peaceful and happy. I wish this person to be loved because this person is a fellow human being just like me. All right. Process this for a second. Let it it sink in. This, if, if you gave it an effort, if, you, if you're trying, if you're trying, this will, this will transform your capacity to work through whatever problems you might have with this person or whatever challenges or, or impediments or obstacles you may be facing with this person. And it doesn't mean that you're going to magically solve everything all at once, but you will have peace in your heart if you can, if you can think this way, if you can actually believe this. So that's an exercise that I remind myself to do when I am frustrated with somebody and I feel like I'm surrounded by crazies. I just go through that and I realize that all these crazies are actually just like me and to them I'm one of their crazies and and we're all just like a big crazy family and that's a beautiful thing um, there is another there is another tool that I use sometimes that helps me to deal with people that I think are crazy and um, and this is another thing I learned in, in, in my law school training and dispute resolution class <laughs> I don't have any notes on this here, so I'm going to be shooting from the hip. Um, the name of this framework, I think it was called something like the the ladder of <laughs> inference or something. Um, but basically, this is the this is the concept of the ladder. Um, this is a way for you to 
mentally do a walkthrough of how you got to the conclusions you've reached and also how others got to the conclusions that they reached. This is a really powerful tool because once you can do this, you can create understanding. And once everybody's understanding how each other got to where they are, it's a lot, well, the heels come out, right? People stop digging in their heels and staking their claims because they get it. They get to, they get to see why you are where you are and you get to see why they are where they are. And from that point, you can you can disagree still about those conclusions, but at least everybody feels like, well, well, you know, they they disagree in a way that I'm okay with because they're not disagreeing with me because they don't get it. They do get it, and they still disagree, and I can live with that. Um, it's much easier to accept. So here's how the ladder works: at the bottom of the ladder, the ladder is resting in, I guess the bottom of the ladder sits in this pool of shared meaning. It's basically all the observable data that exists in a, in a certain scenario. It's all the, well, it's everything. It's, it's everything that exists um, within that scenario. Uh, I'm trying to, gosh, now I'm trying to like ad lib a scenarios to help you picture this. Um, let's say you're going to a parade and that's the scenario we're talking about. We're trying to decide if the parade was good. Okay, so the pool of observable data or the pool of shared meaning, this is just all the stuff. This is every car, every truck, every float, every piece of candy, every person, every fan, every everything. The weather, it's, it's all of it. Okay, and then from that pool, each of us, will begin selecting data or, or, or facts or info from that pool. And it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to pick the same stuff. You know, if, I, if I'm at the parade and I'm with my son, he is going to notice every single truck. That is what he'll see. He's going to be selective and the trucks are what he will see. If my daughter's there, she's going to notice the dancers. And she might not even know that there were trucks. She might even think that the floats were just driving themselves. Um, right. So we are all going to select the data that we, that we select. And there's lots of different reasons why we select what we do, but that's how it works. Once we have this data selected, the next step is, um, it's interpretation. So we, we start interpreting whatever we've selected. We, we start trying to make sense of these little pieces of information, right? We, we start trying to make uh, interpretations. And in order to do that, we start making certain assumptions to fill in whatever gaps we have. And once we've made those assumptions, we can conclude things. So for the parade example, you know, for my son, who's selectively seeing mostly the trucks and the loud, noisy engines and things like that, he is, he's, he's taking all this data in, he's interpreting it, he's making assumptions, maybe he's assuming, you know, louder engines mean stronger trucks, um, you know, these trucks were strong, therefore I agree, I conclude that these trucks are good trucks and this parade is a good parade because good parades have good trucks. All right, so that was his process, right? Once we've concluded something, there is another rung on the ladder. It doesn't end at a conclusion. It keeps going. It goes up to our beliefs about things. Um, and our beliefs are ultimately what 
what, what cause our actions or, or I guess what I guess we'll, we'll just stay with cause it's what causes our actions so um, and our our there's kind of sort of this feedback loop that reinforces our conclusion because we once we've made our conclusion we go back and we look into the pool of data and we start selecting more stuff that seems to support our conclusion right and that's how we get so certain about ourselves being right is because we keep looping back to that pool of shared meaning and we only select the data that reinforces our conclusion so that's how this ladder goes and, and this is kind of this mental walkthrough process so if we were to do that mental walkthrough for my daughter at this fictitious parade um, she goes to the parade to see the cheerleaders and dancers and um, turns out there's only you know one or two groups of dancers and cheerleaders um, they the music wasn't very loud um, their routines were not well choreographed and they didn't even have cool matching costumes um, she assumes that in order to be a good performance you have to have matching costumes and music that's loud and um, and uh, you know partner lifts or something you know so because of all of the this you know this selected data that she has received she has interpreted it and assumed what she has assumed to ultimately conclude the dancing in this parade was not very good therefore this parade was a letdown this parade was no good which is a different conclusion than Griffin had because Griffin likes the trucks, right? He thought it was a great parade because there were great trucks. All right, so that's how, you know, that's how it goes. And then both of them would go, go again and look into that pool of data, select what they want, and, uh, and reinforce their conclusion. You know, Dakota might go and say, oh, you know what, and also we didn't get that much candy, so this really was a bad parade. And Griffin might say, oh, and they threw out my very favorite piece of candy, and I caught that, and so this was a doubly excellent parade. Right. And so that's how that's how this ladder thing works. And um, it, it really does help to understand the people that are around you. OK, now that we've gone through that, we're going to just loosen our ties a little bit. We're going to just talk to Mr. Devin Cooper about some stories and learn from him from his experiences and hopefully laugh with him because I'm guessing that you'll be able to relate to a lot of these. And this is what this show is all about, right? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the real life stuff that we all find ourselves dealing with. And so um, we're going to let me do a little introduction, Devin, and then we'll we'll let you on to share uh, some of some of your experiences. All right. So Devin, uh, Devin's a married man with a couple of uh, beautiful kids and he's in law school. Now, prior to law school, he worked as an insurance agent for 15 years. So, um, I don't know, maybe it's safe to say that with Devin, we are in good hands. Um, also, while in law school, Devin's had the opportunity to take a mediation class, participate in a mediation clinic, where he has mediated uh, many, many small claims court cases across the state. And um, boy, I'm sure we could hear some good stories about those. I haven't shared any of my small claims court mediations, but we're going to have to remind me later, guys, to tell the story about tackling the man with the chair. That's my best small claim story. All right. And then uh, also Devin's just recently done a research paper about online dispute resolution. It's a really hot emerging field. And um, and basically it's a it's a 
online dispute resolution is becoming pretty popular in small claims courts. Uh, I think it's going to be a growing trend over the next several years. Um, and so anyway, Devin's, Devin's a bit of an expert in that. So Devin, let's dive in. Uh, do you have a couple of, maybe, maybe a story you could share of, uh, uh, of a conflict you found yourself in? Yes, no problem. And thanks for having me. Um, I think, I don't know if this will increase your listeners, but my daughters will definitely think this is cool that I'm on the radio or on the internet. So thank you for making my day. Um, one story I was thinking about was when my wife and I were first married. Um, I was either at school or at work during the day and I came home and I opened the door and at the time we were living in a really small apartment and so you could see our living room, the door to our bedroom, the kitchen, and the dining room as soon as you walked in. And my wife was sitting in between the kitchen and the dining room on the ground. And our microwave was on the ground with her. And she had a butter knife. And she looked like she was trying to get into the microwave with the butter knife. So that's the stage setting okay. where we're at. <laughs> so I kind of asked her what happened. And she said she tried to boil an egg. She had heard you could hard boil an egg in the microwave, um, but she said instead the microwave blew up. Apparently you have to stick a hole in the egg or something <laughs> or put it in the water, and she didn't know that. And so she thought that she could fix the microwave, maybe take it apart with a butter knife. Apparently we didn't have screwdrivers back then. And um, so that was what I saw when I walked into the house. So... All right. Okay. Um, this is this is great. This is great. So so Devin, when you walk into the house, um, what is what is your reaction to this scene that you've just walked in on? Um, I, I'm curious. What's going through your mind when you see this? So kind of two things. One is why is the microwave upside down on the ground? And maybe what in the world are you doing with a butter knife trying to get into the microwave? <laughs> those are, I, I think those are reasonable thoughts. Uh, I, I don't, I, you're probably thinking I'm surrounded by crazies. Um, okay. So, all right. So that's, what's going through your head. Um, you, you mentioned that you, you, I guess, do you learn immediately? I mean, you ask her what's going on and she tells you about how she was hard boiling the egg and uh, it's blown up. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what, what, is the, what is she using the knife for? Is it to get it open or something? Yeah, so I think that was probably my biggest question is, what are you doing with the knife? And she thought she was going to take apart the back and somehow fix the wiring, the mechanism inside. Wow. And so it was a good effort, but in my mind it made no sense because neither one of us are skilled microwave repair technicians. <laughs> Well, um, you should have called me over. I, you know, my microwave repair skills are very, very finely tuned, um, as are most people's, I think. So you should probably feel self-conscious and, and a little embarrassed that you don't know how to reconstruct a microwave that's blown up. Um, and and um, that was a lot of sarcasm, guys. That was a lot of sarcasm. Of course, that it seems like a little bit of an ambitious plan to uh, resort to <laughs> taking the microwave apart and reconstructing. So I'm curious, um, was there any, uh, was this the kind of conflict where you come in and you're like, wow, this doesn't make a ton of sense. And like very quickly, everyone's on the same page. Or was there like a little bit of a tension here? Like, like was your, was your wife like, oh, come on, just let me do this. Or, or was she feeling uh, defensive about it? I just, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. 
So um, to be honest, I don't remember all the details. This was probably 15, 16 years ago, but yes, it wasn't something that just resolved quickly. I was glad to see she wasn't hurt. The knife wasn't causing any kind of danger to anybody except maybe the microwave. Um, but after I realized what had happened, I'm pretty sure I said something like, why did you try to cook an egg in the microwave? And what do you think you can do with a knife? So I'm sure I was a little bit upset by the situation once I realized yeah. the reality of it. And what was what was uh, what was her reaction to to you being upset about this? So one of the best things about my wife is she's fiercely independent and she's very strong willed. Um, so she didn't probably appreciate what I said. And so she took a little bit of defense and was a little bit combative and justifying what she did. Um, and so I'm sure I replied with something that wasn't very nice. And eventually she started crying, so it didn't go too well. Okay, well, I'm sure, Devin, I'm sure it wasn't mean. Uh, Devin, Devin does not have a mean bone in his body, but, um, but in this kind of situation, you can imagine Devin's wife feeling, feeling failure, right? The, 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 the stinging defeat of microwave death. Uh, I, I have also, I've also destroyed a microwave once and, uh, and that was, it was also a, a very difficult experience for me. But anyway, so you can imagine how she's feeling, right? Devin comes in and he's like, oh gosh, this looks dangerous. <laughs> and what has happened to our microwave? And, um, uh, you know, why did this seem like a good idea in your head? <laughs> you know? So anyway, as she starts feeling that, from Devin and starts realizing, oh, he thinks that he thinks that I'm so silly for doing this. And maybe she starts kind of telling, you know, she's selecting the data she wants from this pool. And maybe she starts telling herself a story that, that's kind of not the whole story. She starts saying, you know what? He probably even thinks I'm stupid, which isn't true. Devin doesn't think she's stupid. He just doesn't. Right. But that is that is the data that she's going to be selecting because she's feeling stupid on her own, even though she's not is the, you know, it's the kind of thing that anyone could do. And so as she gets this reaction of, you know, from Devin, which is not hostile in the least, it, it, it makes sense that it hurts a little bit and she starts to cry. Okay. At this point, once, once she starts crying, I'm curious, uh, do you remember, Devin, do you remember what started happening or, or how that may have changed your approach to this situation? Uh, yes. There's been a few times over the years that I've made my wife cry and I never feel good about that. So thankfully, she's not here to elaborate on any of those times. <laughs> but once I saw her crying, then yeah, it made me realize I probably overreacted. There's no probably. I overreacted and it wasn't a big deal. And I should have been trying to kind of comfort her and realize she was probably trying to make dinner, have it ready when I got home from school or work. And so the tears definitely were kind of a moment where it made me realize, okay, we need to reevaluate. Wow, well said, well said, Devin. That's what we call breaking the stop hitting yourself cycle. So that cycle, just for a reminder, is a lot of times when we come into a situation where emotions are high or, or opinions vary, a lot of times we end up kind of contributing to the problem. 
in this case, Devin wasn't trying to contribute to the problem, but his natural reaction to walking in on this scene was, um, you know, was, was exactly what he explained, which ultimately had the effect of making his wife feel worse about the situation. And, and as soon as he realized that, tears are a very helpful cue. Um, once he realized that, oh, you know what? My reaction to this hasn't helped. It's probably made it worse. And I, he, start, he starts seeing her side of the story. He explains, he says, oh, look, she's trying, she's trying to be nice. She's trying to have everything ready for me. How, how sweet is she? This is really, this is really great. And, um, and probably starts thinking, you know what? I'm pretty sure microwaves are like 30 bucks on Amazon and, um, and, and all these other things. And, and now he's broken that cycle. He is out of the cycle. He is no longer going to be exacerbating the situation. He, he has broken the cycle. And that, that's the magic moment in every dispute is, is, is at one point, one of the parties has to break the cycle. And, um, and that happened here, which is, which is a beautiful thing. So I'm curious, how did this ultimately resolve? So, um, to be honest, I don't even know if we knew what Amazon was back then, but we did know what Walmart or Super Walmart was. So, we ended up going to Walmart, and I'm pretty sure it was thirty-five or forty dollars. We got a new microwave. We came home, and I can't say I even know what we ate for dinner that night. We probably went out to eat. Um, but we got a new microwave and I was just thinking that that's the microwave we still have to this day. So now when I look at that microwave, it's going to be a reminder of me to break the cycle. So. All right. Well, there it is, folks. You, you heard it from Devin. That is the lesson learned. You all need to go get a microwave and it will help you communicate with your spouse better. All right. That is the lesson from this experience. Okay. Um, so, Devin, I'm curious if you have any... Um, we're going to kind of break necessarily from the, or, or sort of from the story here. And I just want to ask you generally, this is coming from your experience, just your human experience, being a person who has to interact with other people. And sometimes it's not going well. And also from your training, uh, which, which you're in the thick of right now, what is some, what are some, just a general piece of advice or uh, insight that you would have for other people who find themselves entrenched in a conflict with someone else right now? Okay, so um, I thought about this, and so you can relate this to the story, but just general advice that I would say is, one, um, is try to pause before you react. It's really hard sometimes because you have that automatic reaction and if anybody's listened to the podcast, um, there's experiences you've shared where our actions are almost innate, automatic, we can't control them. So try to pause and really react. The second thing I'd say, and it was kind of going along with the questions you posed to everybody um, earlier, is to consider the other person's thoughts, feelings, and ideas, and maybe realize that most people really are doing things that they think are rational. And finally, um, it's maybe realize that a lot of things we think are a big deal really aren't a big deal in the grand scheme of things. So well, that, that is sage advice. Um, I, I would echo all of those things. How often have you found yourself caring so deeply about something that ultimately you don't actually care about, like a microwave? Um, that is that is just one of the secret sauces of dispute resolution is perspective on 
on the grand scheme of, of where, you know, how much does this actually matter? Uh, gauge that, gauge that before you decide what you're going to do. Um, if you have a relationship that matters to you more than anything in the world, don't let, don't let anything that is dramatically less important threaten that relationship. I remember when I was getting married, the guy who, the guy who married my wife and I, um, he was, he was just this really wise, well-respected man. And he sat us down on this couch in this beautiful room in the Draper temple. And he says to us, he says, so let me tell you a story about my marriage. And he says, my, my MO, the way I operate is just meticulously organized everything. He goes, if you came into my office, you wouldn't find a pen out of place. Uh, my closet is just, it's just the way I have to live, right? It's just how I operate. Well, uh, a big part of this is organizing shoes. And if ever I take my shoes off, they go right in their place and, um, and they don't belong on the floor or anywhere else. But my wife sees shoes differently. Um, she will take them off and neatly place them wherever the heck she wants, anywhere. doesn't matter where. Just, just wherever there's a place where shoes could fit, that's where the shoes go. And, um, and he goes, initially, this really, really bothered me. And I just wanted her shoes to be where they're supposed to go all the time. And I kept bringing it up. I kept talking about it. And I kept trying to get her to change this. And then, and then he paused. And I remember he just sat there for a minute. And he says, and you want to know what? This morning on my way over here, I tripped on my wife's shoes coming down the stairs. But instead of being mad, I just laughed. And I've, I've realized that you know what? Shoes, where shoes go, it does not, it does not warrant, it does not warrant me being upset about because this relationship matters to me more than anything else. You know, I'm not going to let the placement of shoes compromise that or threaten that in any way. So I'd encourage you to think through that in all the conflicts you find yourself in, particularly with, with your spouse or significant other or with your children or your parents. Um, the reasons for being mad in those relationships, they better be dang good because if they're not, you're wasting, you're wasting, you're wasting something precious and you're threatening something that matters a lot. So, um, great advice, Devin. Thanks for sharing that with us. I wanted to, um, I, I, I guess I talked a little longer than I had planned. I was hoping we could sneak in another story, but our time is getting a little short here. Um, Let's dive into the lightning round. This is just to get to know Devin a little bit more. Okay, here it is, Devin. Um, for all the 2,000 or so listeners out there, uh, you're about to, you know, this is going to be very vulnerable uh, for you to answer these things. Uh, what is your favorite thing to watch on TV? So I'll give you two quick things. One is college sports. I really appreciate that these athletes aren't paid, at least for now. That could be changing <laughs> soon, unfortunately, in my opinion. Um, so that's what I like to do for me. Um, with my wife, we like to watch home improvement shows, flip or flop, those type oh, of yeah. shows, because the older I get, the more I appreciate manual labor, and I hope I can do one of those things one day. <laughs> I, the more I appreciate it, too. I, I totally resonate with that feeling. Um, yeah, my wife is a big Joanna Gaines fan. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, what is one of your favorite childhood memories? 
So also has to do with college sports. Um, grew up a big BYU fan. My dad had season tickets ever since he was a student at BYU. So we would drive from Las Vegas to all the BYU football games. And I remember being nine years old at the stadium when Ty Detmer and BYU beat Miami when Miami was ranked number one. So that is kind of a crowning moment. Wow. Do you hear that? Geez, that, that is a pretty good one. That is a, especially for a fellow, a fellow sports fanatic like me. Okay. What would be your ideal date night with your spouse? Okay, so if my wife was here, she would say, first, it would not involve our kids. It would be just <laughs> us. Um, second, it would probably be dinner. Food is always good, and my wife says I have a tendency to get hangry, so food would be essential. And then third, um, it would probably involve a long drive. It seems like when you're in the car, it's just you two. You can talk about things. You get to reflect. And if I'm really feeling brave, you can lip sync in the car, and you're not judged yeah. by anybody. So. Amen. Amen to that. Do you have any unique or surprising hobbies or interests? I am a pretty boring person, but some of my interests is I do like to learn about auto mechanics and home repair when I have time. I realize how expensive those things are now, and I like to improve, but I will say I'm not very good. Um, in one of our previous places we lived, I was putting up vertical blinds which is pretty simple. It's just drilling a few school screws into the wall, but I refer to it as construction, and my wife has made fun of me ever since for calling <laughs> that construction. It is construction. I'll stand by you on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked construction as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> No. I mean, if we can use that term really loosely, I might be able to get away with saying that. Um, okay. Um, well, folks, that's all for today. Uh, I'll leave you with one quick tip that Devin just reminded me of, and that is if ever you need to have a really tough conversation with somebody, it really does help if you feed them first. Um, so there you go. If nothing else, go do that, and uh, your chances of success will at least double. All right. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, this has been Ty Brown and Devin Cooper.